Well, I feel very honored that I have been allowed uh, for one more Lord's Day to proclaim my Redeemer, especially in a climate of uncertainty like we have now, uh, to testify the glories of the one who gave his everything for my nothing, who gave his son just because he loved me. And, and I, I just have to say thank you uh, for those of you are, that are here. You considered your time with God, with the assembly of other believers of a greater value uh, this morning than isolation and exposure. And I, I pray that God uh, rewards that in, in your life. You ever heard of a man who married a woman that he never knew, never met, never heard of? Uh, I can think of some Christians who have come into union, though, with a Heavenly Father that they know very little of. Uh, since God is at our heart, the very life giver and sustainer of us all, I think it's good that we change directions here. Of course, with the NCAA tournament being canceled, and I had intended to speak about a series called Mark Madness, the Gospel of Mark. And up until really, because of the way things fluidly changed this past Friday. And then I thought, you know, we have three weeks until Palm Sunday, four weeks until Easter. Uh, this is a good time to talk about how God uses moments of outbreak to change our lives and our world. In fact, some of the greatest revivals in history have come uh, because of some of the greatest crises in history. And so you've got an outline in your bulletin that no longer applies, and I apologize for that today. Uh, but just flip it over right on the back will be, be great this morning. Um, I think for God to be real to us as Christians we have to understand who he is, and we've got to remember that in times like this. And so my sermon today is going to come from one of the greatest proclamations of a humbled man in Job chapter 42 and verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to ask that you turn there in the scripture this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you see uh, me or one of the men that served up here, we'll make sure you get one after the service this morning. Uh, but Job will affirm his faith in God in Job 42 with these words. It says there, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Well, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I'll question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of, your, of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. You know, I also feel very lucky in my life to have been trained in one of God's ordained hobbies, fishing. Uh, my father and my father-in-law, both, uh, if you had known my dad, he could have embarrassed me with some really good stories of my freshwater exploits. I was thinking about this sermon, for instance, and my father-in-law always comes to mind. I love to fish with my father-in-law, Maury. Uh, we'd gone to Laurel Lake down in, near Corbin, Kentucky to fish, and I was in my usual spot in the front of the boat. He was in the back at the, at the motor, and he said, Bill, drop the anchor. He started to catch a few fish, and so I grabbed the anchor, and I, I dropped it in the water till the line went slack, and I tied it off. And we started fishing, and he started catching more, as he usually does. Uh, I think he always points the boat where the fish are and puts me closer to the bank so I can't catch anything. But, but as we're, we're fishing, I, I look up, and I think, my eyes must be playing tricks on me because that tree wasn't there a few minutes ago. 
In fact, as I looked down the bank, where we'd started was a, quite a bit a ways further on. I thought, well, that can't be because I dropped the anchor. And I reached down, and the anchor was as tight as it could be. And what had happened was the very first boat that had come along and the very first wave that had lifted up our boat, it had dislodged the anchor and set us to drift. And so now we were 20, 30 feet down the bank from where we had begun. You know, I find in life sometimes I drop anchors in my faith. And I find a lot of Christians that drop anchor, but we fail to see that it's firmly set in an amazing creator God. And then when the water starts to get a little choppy, when the news starts to get a little uh, perilous to us, we look up and we notice that life has passed by. Or we're not where we thought we should be. Or take, for example, Max Lucado in his book, Six Hours, One Friday. He recalls back on Labor Day in 1979 when people in Miami were digging in at the prospect of Hurricane David. Now, Hurricane David had already left a grim path of flooding and destruction all over the Caribbean. And now it was heading for Florida. Max had never been through a hurricane before, and he had just bought a houseboat. It wasn't a huge houseboat. It wasn't a huge vessel uh, or la extravagant vessel, but it was his. And it was home for the moment. He didn't know how to protect it, but he knew he had to do something. And so what he did was he took a, a lot of rope and he saw some nearby trees on the shore and he started to lash different parts of the boat to the trees until it started to look like a spider in the middle of a spider web. And one of the locals went by and he, and he said to him, feeling sorry for him, he said, you tired of land, you're going to regret it. Those trees are going to get eaten up by the cane. Your only hope is to put out and to anchor deep. Place four anchors deep, leave some slack, and pray for the best. As I thought about what's going on in our country and, and in many of our lives, I thought, anchoring deep, yeah, that's, that's really good advice. Didn't God warn us that storms would come? Didn't he warn us that times would become perilous? And how many of God's trumpet blasts have we ignored? And how many times have, have I personally even tied my tiny little houseboat to things I felt secure with? Relationships, my work, my, my tools, and, and, and my books, even the knowledge that kept me from the one true book that helped me place the, the, the secure anchors in life. And we all do. Don't we? And can't you feel the winds just beginning to kick up? We've been watching the Dow Jones go up and down. Uh, we watched the numbers in Ohio over a span of days go from five cases up to 27, 29, and there's probably more that we're going to find in the next couple of days. Some feel the rain begin as in their lives, in their homes, their teenager starts to get a little more mouthy or starts to kick against them along the way. Some people feel their boat begin to rock when discord begins in the marriage. Some have to face the storm and the pain of loss. Some storms come that just drain the joy out of life. And I think of a few years ago, coming home from playing tennis with friends, and my storm hit for the first time with my dad. There was just a note there on the table in the kitchen, dad's sick, gone to the hospital, mom. And when you see somebody that you love helpless in a hospital, 
uh, especially if you had regrets of the relationship like I did with my dad, it really starts to hit hard. And soon after, my dad underwent a quadruple bypass for, for massive blockage in his arteries, and the recovery of that was just such a traumatic thing back then. And times like those are our most trying for us, aren't they? Tragedy, heartache, suffering, it always takes us by surprise with our guard down. And we wonder, okay, God, I believe in you, but where are you in all of this? And sometimes the easiest pattern for those of us that have been Christian for a long time is that we know exactly where God is. But we fail to give so much as a tip of the hat to his presence. Well, in the biblical reminder of, of Job, we find a person who faced more than just an average storm, more than just a normal storm within his life. In fact, if you were to go back to the start of his story in, in Job chapter 1, you'll see the great losses he had within his life. In Job 1.13, it says, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came in and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, the third messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put your servants to the sword. And, and you may have never heard this before, Job, but I'm the only one who's left that escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, the fourth messenger came and said, Your son, your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in at the, from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. Job, it collapsed on all of them, and they're all dead. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And at this, Job got up and he tore his robe and shaved his head, but he fell to the ground in worship. Now, very few of us will ever have to face such a, a, a series of tragedies in our lives. And then after that, in the very next chapter, he's stricken from head to toe with boils. And people, they didn't know what to say for a while. They avoided him because of his agony. And pain is a surprising thing. And they come in sometimes like a, like a lamb, and they take the toll of a ravaging lion. But Jesus, in his love for us, he kind of warned us when he said in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may could be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain descended and the floods came. The winds blew and burst against the house. Yet it did not fall because it was founded upon the rock. The wise person plans for the storms to come. And when the rains begin and when the waters start to rise, it's often too late to start drawing blueprints. We as Christians can have hope in the middle of the storm. We can feel the presence of God in the middle of an outbreak if we let the presence of God have its own outbreak in our soul. We need to be anchored, friends, in the fact that we have a God 
who is not just born Emmanuel, God with us. He is a God that is still with us. A God who has promised, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. You know, when, when Emma called this past week to tell me about Derek and his fever and trying to find out what was going on, you would think by that time they'd had over uh, 12 cases in Knoxville, in Knox County down in Tennessee, uh, that they would have everything kind of arranged on what to do. It had already been in the world. It had already started to spread. We'd seen what was happening in Washington and California, in, in the District of Columbia. But they went to a, a, a local hospital. They said, well, you've got to go to this ReadyMed over here. They went to the ReadyMed. They said, well, we don't have any test kits. We don't know what to tell you. You need to go to this other care center over here. They went to a second care center. They said, well, we don't have test kits. We don't know what to tell you. You need to go to, to this other place. But they're, they're done for the day. You're going to have to wait till tomorrow morning for the test. They had to wait another 24 hours. They finally got the test done for the coronavirus. And now they're waiting for the final say to come back on that. In a world where we just, you know, nobody seems to know what's the next step, what's coming around the corner. This is a novel virus, meaning it's new, it changes all the time. Isn't it great to know we have a God that says, I do not change. I am the anchor point that has always been, that is, will always be. You need only to trust in me. And I think we can do that in three different ways this morning. I think one of the things we can we anchor our, our faith in is the knowledge that we as the created, we need to recognize that God is above us as the top creator. He's above us as the creator. If you turn your mind back to Job 42 verses 1 and 2, you'll see how Job put it there. How did, he, how did he make this declaration? God, I know that you can do all things. I know that no plan of yours can ever be thwarted. He could say that because God had just challenged him. After he challenged God, he challenged the ability of God to be present in the midst of his outbreak of suffering. And now he comes to proclaim the power of God. And all you got to do is see what God said to him. Go back to, to chapter 38 and start. And you'll see God saying there in, in verses 1 through 7, Who is this that darkens my counsel without knowledge? Job, you gird up your loins like a man, and I'll ask you, and you'll instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line upon it? Job, on what was its, were its basis sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone while the evening stars sang together for joy? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Later on in chapter 39, verse 1, Job, do you know the time that the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? You see, God knows Job. He's the creator. And he wants to remind Job, Job, you are the created. In other words, if, if you remember the old author, Philip Yancey, he would write, your arms are far too short to box with God. You don't have the right, Job, to challenge the authority and the power of God. And friends, pain doesn't give us that right. 
Loss and fear does not give us that right. Yes, the storms hit hard, but God is still the unshakable one. He's still the creator. He sets it all in motion. He knows. And God shows Job a multitude of things that only he as God can do. And Job is finally convinced because of the great majesty and wisdom of God. He admits that he's gotten out of place. I, I was wrong, God. I am in awe. I am impressed by your absolute power. There's nothing beyond your ability. Because God, whatever you plan to do, you'll do. And I wonder if Job walked away from that encounter with God and shortly thereafter, maybe he learned a new song to sing. And maybe it went something like this in his mind. Oh, Lord, my God. When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul. You see, whether you're looking from the God's Eye Nebula that this is a picture of here, or whether you're looking out the window of your, your home or a hospital room, when you see God as the Creator, you never look at this life. You never look at people the same way again. And yet when it comes to personal pain, sometimes we don't want to look at God. And yet we need, even in asking, where are you, God, to do just that. I, I have learned, friends, that it, whether it's my immune system issue that I have, whether it's the retinitis pigmentosa that it's taken much of my vision, whenever I turn to God, I find answers. Whenever there's a, a question in my heart, I know that I'm going to find something in God I can find nowhere else. Pain is a great obstacle, but as the creative God, the one who made the senses. Friends, just, just think what life would be like without an immune system, without pain itself. You'd never know when you burned yourself or, or you cut yourself. The same, same nerves that carry that sense of sickness or the same nerves that carry the sense of pain to our brain carry the same senses of pleasure, sweet smells of home. Sense that remind you of the people that you love would never be possible apart from pain. We are fearfully, we are wonderfully made. Leslie Weatherhead was an old English author and professor of this century, but he wrestled with this question. If God is the creator and God is so powerful, then why doesn't he just remove all the pain from my life? And somebody shared with him the story of a physically strong man whose wife 
often complained of, of mysterious ailments. And after listening to her for a while, uh, he began to, to help her walk. Well, just, just lean on me for a little bit and, and I'll help you till you get stronger. But she continued to complain. And, and so she leaned harder into him until eventually he just picked her up and carried her everywhere they went. And soon her muscles began to atrophy and she was an invalid and she couldn't take one more step and was totally dependent upon him. In that case, it would have been far better for the woman if the man had stood back after giving some help and, and just let her stumble that she would learn to walk and be strong. And when God allowed Job, when God allows us to go through pain many, many times without answers, he does it so we can gain a strength to walk in and with him. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, the corona, which means crown virus, doesn't stand to compare with the corona of life, the crown of life that God has in store for us. And God is not in the work of creating weak, dependent creatures. He's in the business of soul making and dependent creatures upon his power, his strength, his plan, and his will. We are free to become his children. And in this world, the scriptures say, since the creation of the world, God's divine attributes his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made, being understood so that man is without excuse. We have that choice to believe in a powerful creator. And one of the most beautiful things about seeing God as the creator, about praising him as such, is that we know he understands us. Turn your memory back to the night of Jesus' arrest. He's praying on his face, literally, in the Garden of Gethsemane for his Father's will to be done. Outside, in the closest group, he's left Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he's only given them a simple instruction, just watch and pray, and they fall asleep. And the Lord returns, and what does he do? Does he scold them for sleeping? No. Because our Lord understands better than anybody else the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. That's the compassion of our creator. Here's another thing we can do. If you want to anchor safely in God, we need to recognize him not just as the creator above us. We need to see God as the one all about us as well as the all-knowing one. Job declared in verse 3 of chapter 42, I have declared things I don't understand, things too wonderful for me which I didn't understand. I didn't know, God, but you did every step of the way. You know, I, I love Hebrew. Uh, going back in class, and even still, those of you that know me best, you might come in and I'll, I'll have my Hebrew Bible out open. And one of the things I love about that beautiful script and language is, is that it is written from right to left, whereas English is written from left to right. So in other words, if you're going to read and write Hebrew, you have to learn to read and write backwards. And one thing I've learned about life is if you're going to understand 
a lot of the suffering and things we go through, you've got to be able to read life backwards. Because if we look at it forward, life sometimes does not make sense. Think of the story of Joseph back in the book of of Genesis. It was utterly unintelligible to read going forward, but looking back, it made sense. This boy could not understand, why would God give me these visions and allow my brothers to do to me what they did? Why would my brothers throw me into a cistern, sell me into slavery? Why would I end up in Egypt? Why would my dad not come after me, not knowing that his brothers had lied to their father? Why would I serve God every step of the way and yet still end up in prison being accused of a crime I didn't commit? Why would I end up in charge of inmates? And then why would I, looking forward, it made no sense, but looking backward, God was putting him in a position to save lives. And life needs to be read backwards. God's plan is always a beautiful plan. Remember who God revealed himself to, to Moses? Moses was ready for something that would send the Israelites topsy-turvy. God, give me your name. Tell me who you are and they'll be impressed. And what did the Lord say? Moses, you tell them, I am sent you. I am. Because God is not confined to the calendar He's not confined to the clock. God is at all times. And because of that, we can anchor our souls in him. It's why we're told in Proverbs, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your way acknowledge him and he will direct or he will make straight your paths. You sink your anchor in God and you can weather the storm. But, but it's scary Billy, I'm I'm frightened when I read the news and they say one out of 200 people might perish. When they talk about somebody over 50, Bill, I don't want to admit it, but I'm over 50. You know, I'm scared. But friends, God never leaves us in the dark. We were told that all things, even outbreaks of viruses, would work together for our good. The pain, the things we face in life, especially the sin that we have that darkens our understanding, We need to remember there is one who sees us clearer than a bell, who who sees the future and whose knowledge we can depend upon. The one who said, "I, I know my plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and to give you success. He said it to Israel. He says it to us. Now, here's the last thing. You not only have to see God above you as creator or around you as the all seeing one. As believers and as followers of Christ, as Christians, we need to experience God within us as our sovereign Lord. You see, Job would say, hear now and I'll speak. I'll ask you and you'll instruct me. I've heard of you, Lord, by the hearing of the ear, but now my very own eyes have seen. And that's why he said, I repent in dust and ashes. I've heard all about you, God. I've seen everything that you've shown me, but now I get it. There's a lot of truth packaged in that little statement, and it's worth tucking away in your heart. Job's testifying his limitations. He's far too limited. He only had before that the head knowledge, not the heart knowledge. And now he knows 
It's not just that, God, you're the creator of all this. It's not just that you know everything. And Job worshiped God with all that he knew. If you go back to Job 1, he offered sacrifices for all of his children in case they sinned and didn't know it. I mean, that's a righteous man. But now he said, God, that's not enough. I've got to know you within. Friend, do you know God is the sovereign one within you? Do you know the one who would speak to his disciples those beautiful and precious words? Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, Jesus said, you believe also in me because in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place, I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. If anybody loves me, he said, he'll keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our abode with him. See, the greatest of all mysteries is captured in those words. God will come and make his home with you. The great mystery is that God, he could have stopped being, with just being creator. He could have stopped by just being the all-knowing one. He didn't have to become the indwelling Lord, but he did. So Paul could say with joy in Colossians 1, this is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is with us and within us. The greatest miracle of all. You know, one of my favorite stories of, of how God does that comes from a doctor, uh, Dr. Paul Brand. He understands, maybe better than any of us, how God is with us. He's the director of the largest leprosarium that's still in existence today in Louisiana. And one day he was speaking to a group of people uh, who sat before him, people without hands. People who had only stumps of arms where arms and hands had used to be before the cruel disease of leprosy had cost them their appendages. And he spoke about God in the flesh to his audience. And he said to them, I want you to know, then came the hands of the baby Jesus. Hands that would grow, that were helpless and futilely grasping for his mother. Then came the hands of the boy, Jesus, clumsily holding a stylus or trying to hold a brush to form the letters of the alphabet. Then there were the hands of Jesus, the young man, the carpenter, rough and gnarled with broken fingernails and splinters and bruises from working with saw and hammer. Then there were the hands of Jesus, the physician, the, the healer, so much so that when he touched people, they could feel something of the divine spirit coming through. Christ touched the blind, the diseased, the needy. And then, continued Dr. Brand, then there were his crucified hands. It hurts me to think, he said, of a, of a nail being driven through the center of my hand because as a doctor, I know what goes on there. The tremendous complex of tendons and nerves and blood vessels and muscles. He said, it's impossible to drive a nail through the center of the hands without crippling the hands. The thoughts of those healing hands being crippled reminds me of the pain that Christ was made to endure. 
And then he said, one of the things I find most astounding are Jesus' resurrected hands. Even though we think of the future life as something that is perfected, when Christ appeared to his disciples, he said to them, come and look at my hands. He invited Thomas, come, put your finger where the nails were. Even though he was resurrected, even though he would have a perfected body, why would he keep the wounds of his humanity? Wasn't it because he wanted to carry into glory an eternal reminder of the suffering his people faced on earth? Above all things, the hands of our God are understanding hands for the marks they bear because he wanted to forever be the one who is with us. And Dr. Brand, when he finished speaking those words, handless arms, stumps were raised in praise to God all over the auditorium. See, those people knew that God had invested his very flesh, his very life in them, and they would never look at their disease the same way again. Their suffering would never be seen the same way because God was with them. And friends, because God has invested in us so freely, he desires us to place all our hope, all our trust in him. The question this morning, will you? You know, the saddest commentary on a marriage that I've ever heard in this life is, is he walked alone and she walked alone and together they walked alone. See, we were never meant to walk alone. We were made to walk with our Creator, with our Lord, with our Savior. And if we have God, we have all of His promises that are made true, that are amen in Jesus Christ. My professor Sherwood Smith, I will never forget, beautiful man that taught New Testament at Cincinnati Bible College when it was still there. He was the one that, that showed me how little we know of God sometimes. He said that we all cry out, fill my cup, Lord, fill my cup. And we hold out our tiny little teacups when we should be holding out buckets because God is prepared to bless us in abundance in overflowing ways if we will trust him. Would you stand with me this morning? I want you to see the words and hear the words that Job would say. In Job 19, 23, he said, How I wish that somebody would record what I'm saying or with a chisel carve my words into stone or write them so they would last forever. But I know, I know there's someone in heaven who at last will come to my defense and I will see him with my own eyes, and he will not be a stranger. Let's pray. Someday, Jesus, you will call each of our names. As we come before you, Father, to us, you will either be a stranger or there will be a familiarity like no other. 
because of our relationship and our love for you and the acceptance of what you have done for us. Father, this worship today, the reason that we've all come, it's because of you. Nothing held back. And Lord, I just want to say before you that we love you with our life. Father, I pray for my family here this morning that if there's any shadow of doubt, if there's any question of salvation in anyone's heart today, that they become right with you in receiving your forgiveness and receiving the gift of your Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Father, all it takes is coming before you to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I realize I stand in the camp of your enemies because everything I've done wrong is exactly why you had to die. It was either you or me and you chose it to be you. And so I receive what you did for me before, during, and after the cross at Calvary. Your love, that's the outbreak I need in my life. Your forgiveness, that's the outbreak I need for eternity. Your crown that you offer of life, that's, that's my security. And I confess my sin to you and I want to follow you. So please, be my Lord, be my Savior, take my life. I repent of my past. Lord, what I was, I never want to be again. Where I've been, I never want to go again. I want to live my life for you. When you tell me to be baptized, I want to enter the waters of baptism. I want to be pure. I want to have not just a clean heart, not just clean. I want my soul to be clean before you. It needs to be clean because it's the place where you're going to live. Father, I just ask if there's a choice to be made today, you, you lead your children to make it in Jesus' name.